0: Greeting, language hackers. Welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast with me, Elizabeth, and my co-host, Benny Lewis. In this episode, we talk with Sarah Gillespie about her journey learning Hiligaynon, which is her mother's native language. Sarah tells us about her experiencing learning this relatively rare language and how it changed her relationship with her family. Some of the things we discuss are how to find resources for more obscure languages, advice for learning languages with songs, techniques for forming habits, recommendations for different apps and software, Sarah's experience with the Fluent in Three Months challenge, how to use your target language to get to know your family members better, and much more. We really hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, please let us know by leaving a review. Tell us what's working for you at languagehacking.com forward slash review. We enjoy hearing from you and we do read every single review. So without further ado, here's our interview with Sarah. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 48. Welcome to the language hacking podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hi everyone and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. This is Elizabeth Bruckner. I'm speaking with my co-host, Benny Lewis of Fluent in Three Months. And today we are interviewing Sarah Gillespie, who is a freelance travel journalist and occasional singer-songwriter from Scotland. She's been learning Hiligaynon for quite some time now, and she's actually been a finalist for the Fluent in Three Months Challenge three times. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me.
1: So let's kick things off by just hearing your own version of your story. So, how did you get into languages, and what uh, brought you to such an interesting choice for your uh, priority language?
2: Sure. So, um, I'd uh, I'd always wanted to learn Hiligaynon. Um, you know, my, my mom's from the Philippines and, uh, that's her, her native language. So she, she does speak a little Tagalog, which is the national language of the Philippines, but she grew up in Iloilo City, which is a majority Hiligaynon speakers. There's about, um, up to nine million. Hiligaynon speakers uh, worldwide. They're not entirely sure in the number just because there's so many living abroad. Um, but it's not, the, it's not the official language of the Philippines. So it's not really represented in, in the media or in books uh, or indeed in language learning materials. Uh, so that was a, a bit of a struggle. And when my... Uh, so I was born in, in the UK, in Scotland. And uh, my mum never really spoke Hiligaynon to me or my sister growing up. Um, she she really wanted to to integrate into the life here in Scotland. So she didn't really have... When, and the time she moved here, she didn't really have any uh, Filipino friends in the area. So she really just grew up... Uh, well, my sister and I grew up speaking English. And then as I got to um, into my teenage years, into my early 20s, I started to get more and more frustrated. Every time we would go back to the Philippines... I um I would get really frustrated that I couldn't speak the language. And even though my cousins, my aunts and uncles would be really good at including us in things, we would just... I always felt like I was missing out on something, not being able to understand what was going on. And I kind of got into this cycle where every time... We would go about every two years. And every time we went, I would say... This is the year. This is the year I'm going to learn the language, and it never occurred to me to actually learn it before I went out there. It would always be once I actually arrived. I said, "This. This is it. This is the year. I'm going to learn Hiligaynon," and then I would have a burst of enthusiasm for about three weeks. And then I would go back home to Scotland and just forget about it until the next time when I would say again, you know, this maybe happened five or six times, I'd say this is the year I'm finally going to learn it. And uh, then it would be December 2019. Um, I I think I came across the challenge. So I, I knew about Fluent in three months already, and I'd had really, um, a really good experience with the Conversation Countdown course. Uh, I used it for Spanish, actually, prior to a, um, a five-month trip around South America, and I I did the course. It took me a week, having had almost no experience with Spanish, and I managed to hold a fifty-minute conversation with an iTalki tutor after seven days, and she <laughs> she couldn't believe it. She said, "How long have you been speaking Spanish?" I said. Oh, about seven days. And, and so, you know, I, I was familiar with, with Benny's techniques and I knew that they worked. And then I came across this email landed in my inbox just before Black Friday and it said, you were doing this, this sale for the Fluent in three months challenge. And I went, Oh, what's this? And so I checked it out and yeah, just caught completely hooked on it, got hooked on on the format and I think it was the push that I finally needed and that accountability that I needed to actually start learning a language that I had wanted to learn my whole life um, but never had never had the accountability and just not known how to learn. I think that was the most important thing.
0: Learning how to learn is essential. What you're talking about here, your mother, it's your mother's language is what many people will call a heritage language. So I just wanted to explain that to listeners. I often heard heritage language. What is that? It's it's when that language is in your family, like Benny has Irish in his family. And, you know, my mother speaks Russian. And so a lot of times you will have moments of pieces of that culture in your, in your life, but you're not able to access it because you can't speak that language. So was it, like learning how to learn you learned first with Benny's uh, methods through Spanish. was it different when you started learning your uh new target language your mother's language
2: uh yeah it was it was very different um so it, it, it's funny actually because because I learned Spanish and the Philippines was a Spanish colony for uh, around three hundred years. I think what surprised me the most was how little my spanish came in useful <laughs> when uh, when i started learning hiligaynon there there are a lot of cognates but really it is a completely different language but also so many of the things that we take for granted when learning a language like spanish italian uh, french portuguese any of the better resource languages just do not exist for hiligaynon like things like uh, podcasts, textbooks, um, films, TV shows, and I really had to to hunt and I really had to spend a lot of time just chasing resources, trying to find resources, trying to find teachers. And that did take up a lot of time in the beginning. And that was really probably the biggest difference between Hiligaynon and Spanish.
1: So when uh, when I first got into learning languages, I did for a while uh, just arrive in the country and try to pick it up that way. And it, it had its own challenges, absolutely. And it required my motivation to be continued for a while. And I know a lot of people listening are thinking, you know, when the pandemic ends, I'm going to go to a country and then I'm going to start learning that language in that country and I'll pick it up by osmosis. And I've absolutely learned over the years to switch my learning approach to learn the language ahead of time so that when I'm in the country, I can experience it without having to be bogged down by so much language learning time. So like, what would you say to people who are thinking themselves, you know, oh, I the pandemic may be going on for a little long, longer while, but I'm, I'm going to wait till I go to that country because then I will naturally pick it up. What would you say to people who have that uh, idea to to convince them to maybe use this time before they go to learn instead?
2: Um, I would just say, who wants to be doing flashcards while your friends are on the beach? I mean, really, that that's just no. You you should you should enjoy your language once you're actually there, and I think now while you're at home is just, I mean chances are you've got nothing else to do with your time. I just think that you should if, if you are if you are feeling bored, if you do have some some spare time, then you can you can use that time to your advantage. And as I said, not have to worry about the, the theory of of language learning while you're actually in the destination and just be able to enjoy the destination and
0: enjoy the people there. Really well put, Sarah. You took advantage. I I think you were one of our rock stars when it came to really using the speaking practice channel in the challenge. So we have a channel where people can share videos between the videos that are required. And you spent so much of your your study time doing things that you enjoyed. So you said, you know, you want to enjoy the language. Um one of them was singing songs, performing songs. You're a guitarist. You have a beautiful voice. So it was a treat to see it. Um, what motivated you to keep sharing those videos? Because the truth is, you didn't magically get to 50-minute conversation in seven days because you just did a little bit. You worked towards that. You you spent a lot of time using the different muscles in your mouth that are going to make different sounds for each language. So why do songs call to you, and how did you use them to learn a language?
2: Um, I think if I were to prescribe a magical language learning elixir, it would be learning songs because it covers so many aspects of learning a language. I mean, of course, there's vocabulary, but there's also there's also phrasing, there's rhythm, there's tone and pronunciation, of course. And I think I've never really had to consciously work on the pronunciation of a language, um, re- really any language. Um, I mean, I've mentioned Hiligaynon on Spanish. I do have I have dabbled in a few other languages and uh, n- never to any really proficient degree. But, um, you know, I, d- I did study German at one point as well and, um, and then French at school. And I never really had to focus on pronunciation for any of them, even though they're all quite different. And I think that songs had a lot to do with that. And I think it was really a fast track towards much better pronunciation because by by its very nature, singing singing songs forces you to kind of take on an exaggerated uh, mouth movement. Um, even even singing in English kind of forces you to to move you know to move in a more exaggerated way in order to enunciate and really get across what what you're trying to say. And so I think that really helps with. Uh, taking on the sounds of of more different languages like uh, like German, uh, like Spanish, like Um and also uh, as I said, I think the rhythm and phrasing aspects of languages are really uh, well covered by by learning songs. And also, actually, it's it's kind of like effortless listening practice because if you really like a song, it gets stuck in your head, and then it's almost like you're listening to it without even having to put any effort in and by that way, I've always noticed that the words that I've learned within songs are the ones that I never ever forget. Um, I, I've never had to use flashcards or anything to memorize them because they they just stick there and I think it's a combination of having so many associations with that word um, and also having used it in such a, such an active way that means that they they really stick.
1: And how did you, uh, decide which songs to use or where do you even find the music for a language like Hiligaynon? Because I I can, I can think of loads of resources for Spanish, Italian and so on. But for less, uh, for languages that are more difficult with, uh, native resources out there, how can people find songs to then sing along with and to learn?
2: So until very recently, there were very, very few. Um there were traditional songs. So I did I did learn a couple of traditional songs, uh folk music, that kind of thing, uh that had been put on YouTube. But my problem with those was that the vocabulary was quite old. <laughs> they were almost almost like learning an, an old English song. You know, there were they were words that don't really have much common use today. So, but very recently, uh, I think it was just at the end of twenty nineteen, this uh, this new collective formed called Ilongo Pop, and they started making modern pop music in Hiligaynon. And the thing is that I'm I, as a you know as a part time musician, I I am very fussy in my music choices, and so. You know, for me, yes, you know, it's cool that they're doing pop music in Hiligaynon, but it wouldn't have been enough for me if the music hadn't actually have been good. And what really shocked me and amazed me, uh, it shouldn't have, because there's a, an incredible amount of talent in Iloilo in City, but just how good the songs were. And, you know, you've you've got, um, there's quite a strong jazz influence with some of the artists. You know, I, I love, I love my jazz. And, you um, you know, there were there were other songs that kind of touched upon more like, you know, metal and hard rock genres and just the level of sophistication, level of um, songwriting that uh, that's come out of this collective has really impressed me. And, um, yeah, I would even if you're not planning on learning Hiligaynon or any other Filipino languages, I would really advise to check it out if you're if you're a music fan. Because uh, it, is, it is really good uh, songwriting.
0: Can I ask both of you, because Fanny, I think you've done a few um, language learning with songs as well. I'm a singer too. However, I can't remember lyrics in English to save my life. So when people say learn with songs, I'm like, that's ridiculous. All I do is know the melody. How did you learn? Did you just, did you print out the lyrics? And then, because I've tried this, I've printed out the lyrics, I've read it, it's gone too fast, I've given up and I've gone back to just mumbling the words and every once in a while singing a word in French and then going back to mumbling. How did you two, how do you actually sit down and study a a song and keep it from, you know, making your brain hurt?
1: I mean, uh, what I do is I'm always uh, relying on technology. So I would very simply um, artificially slow the song down because at its natural speed, especially if I'm a beginner in the language. And even, even for my advanced languages, I find they... They sing too quickly for me to be able to truly understand what they're saying in the first few times I listen. So I'll just, if it's on YouTube, it's very easy to click the gear icon and change it to half speed. And then a lot of, uh, a lot of apps will let you do that as well, depending on how you're listening to it. And that I will follow along with the lyrics and you'll always find the lyrics with a quick Google search. And sometimes there are good translations of those lyrics because, you know, Google translate. It does, it'll get you the gist of it, but sometimes there's, uh, there's good websites that actually translate popular music for you. And then I truly know what's being said. And that kind of touches me in a different way. And there's even, there's songs in English that like you said, Elizabeth, I, I, I've heard a million times, but I don't even know what the lyrics are. And like, I've never thought about it. Whereas in the other language, I will try to actively sing along with it. And I'll try to follow along with what they're saying. And it's completely opened up my world. So I I wouldn't do printing necessarily, but slowing the speed down and looking it up online along with human made translations is uh, where I like to go. And what do you do or what have you been doing, Sarah?
2: I wish I had a more interesting answer for this, but honestly, I just repeat it again and again and again and again and again until I—it's not even possible for me not to remember it. Um, I guess one difference for me is that Google Translate doesn't support Hiligaynon, so I have to—I—I I mean, bless my mom. I mean, she she is so patient with me. But when when I was living away from home, I would I would send her. Lyrics like at midnight, be like, Mom, can you translate this for me? And she goes, oh, God, not again. Um, since then, I've brought in the whole family to help as well. And there's also a, a Facebook group called uh, Hil- Hiligaynon Lamang, which um, is actually a, a Facebook gr- group dedicated to Hiligaynon literature and the Hiligaynon language. And I'll quite often post things on there as well because they're really really active and usually I'll get about 20 answers within 10 minutes of me posting and then I actually have to mute the comments because my phone won't stop dinging. So yeah, that's that would be the main difference for me in that it's it's more difficult to get a translation. But uh, the group the group of Noticed uh, has been very active in, in posting their lyrics online, so that's something at least.
1: Yeah, I, I'm part of similar fe- like Facebook groups for languages like Irish that are more tricky to come across, uh, resources. And even just uh, that, those kind of groups will share silly memes that'll just kind of give you that other look into the language beyond what you'd see in academic books. So just finding a group of people and just joining them, even as a, even as a lurker initially can give you so much information. And then when it comes to the likes of music, just Trying to actively produce something changes how you how you feel about it. And people would see on my YouTube channel, I've done uh, like an odd number of um, videos where I'm singing. And by trying to actively sing in those videos and even lip syncing to some songs on the likes of TikTok have meant that I know those lyrics inside out and back to front. And that is another thing that people can do is like actively try to produce themselves and just share a video with their friends of them singing in the language and that'll that'll burn it into your memory forever.
2: Um, I just wanted to, just when you mentioned lip syncing, that just reminded me of um, in my last challenge, there was a quite popular uh, viral TikTok video in Hiligaynon, which was people lip syncing to a famous scene from a radio drama in Hiligaynon called Once There Was a Love. And it's it's so dramatic. I mean, it's completely over-the-top kind of acting, like tragic love scene. And people were... And young, you know, young Elongos as well were recording themselves lip-syncing this scene with their friends and then posting it on TikTok. And I don't have a TikTok myself, but I really wanted to get in on it. So after... Several weeks of learning to lip sync to this extremely fast, extremely complex scene, I finally managed to post myself lip syncing to this scene on YouTube. I posted it on Hiligaynon Le as well, and they they just thought it was hilarious. And but it really it really burned into my memory, and it was really fast um, Hiligaynon. And it's funny because it's um, I. I haven't, I haven't forgotten it and I kind of pull it out now as a, you know, as a party drink, uh, a party drink, Sorry. <laughs> party trick, uh, usually, usually after a few drinks and <laughs> you know, when I'm on, when I'm chatting to my aunt or someone, I'll just, uh, I'll just, you know, she'll ask me to just burst into that scene and I'll, I'll you know, recite it perfectly and they just, they all just think it's so funny, but that is quite a good way of learning otherwise really complex vocabulary and, and phrasing as well, actually, because it forces you to speak just as, just as they would speak and adopt the same rhythm that they would.
1: And one trick I'll, I'll, um, add to that, especially, uh, since like you said, you, you don't have a TikTok yourself. One thing that people do on TikTok, which you can absolutely do in other apps and if you're recording a YouTube video, is what I was saying before, change the speed. So I have videos where I'm rapping in other languages and I can tell you there's no way I could actually rap at regular speed in those languages. I can't even rap in English at regular speed. So there's just no way. But I played the audio at half speed. And I was able to lip sync along with them that way. And it, it just helped me to make some content in that language and to have that connection to learn the words. So if people are listening to this thinking, oh, there's no way I could uh, do something that quickly. That's that's like half of TikTok is people changing the speed of what they're actually doing to be able to keep up with things. So um, there's always a way you can work into this. Wow.
0: This conversation is opening up a whole new world TikTok, here I come. But I think not just not only talking about songs, both of you talked about the community around. Like if, if a song is sung in a forest and no one hears it, was it really sung? That is the, the, uh, the riddle for today. And so both of you found communities via social media. So TikTok is one. I was a huge fan of Instagram. I'll, I'll share, uh, um, an article in the show notes about Instagram and I'll share Benny's, Benny has a video about um, how to find live streams in different languages and it's hilarious because Benny actually gets on uh, this like Kids Quebecois live stream and he's like, I have no idea what this guy's saying because his accent is so thick and he's speaking in such slang, but it's a great video. And so what we need to do is find these communities. Now Sarah, with you, you actually had like Just Add Water and there was a community, your mother was a native speaker. How did you start um, going from, I'm going to learn this language to, okay, aunt and uncle, I actually am learning now and I want to talk about a few phrases. Like, Because I know for me, when I go out and talk to my neighbors, I'll say something like, hi, I've been learning Spanish for two weeks. And then they say this gigantic paragraph afterwards and I have no idea what they said. And I, and I just look like an idiot. I don't care. I don't mind looking like an idiot. But what was it like for you when you were... Kind of starting to dip your toe into the language and wanted to practice, but had to make sure that it was comfortable and still, you know, working with your family relations.
2: I won't lie; I was terrified of the idea of speaking to my extended family. I, I had tried it with my mom a few times, so that wasn't so scary. But yeah, my aunts and and uncles and cousins and my my grandmother, that was. That was a bit more intimidating especially since when i call them it's it's never only one of them i'm talking to there's usually at least 10 of them there and the the ipad is getting passed around to everyone and it can be a bit disorienting so i would say to anyone who wants to learn a language because of someone in their family or just a loved one who they want to speak to in that language, I would suggest using uh, tutors like on italki to bridge that comfort gap. And also, not just for you, but for them, because it is, I imagine anyway, it is quite frustrating them trying to talk to you when all you know is a few words and they don't want to show that frustration. So. Uh, you know, they're they're all very, you know, very kind about it, but you you don't want to, you don't want to feel like you're, you're wasting their time. So I would say to put it bluntly, when you hire an online tutor, you are literally paying them to be patient with you and to listen to your mistakes and to correct your mistakes. Mm -hmm. And then having done that, you know, in in my case, I did it maybe for um, a month or two. And then by that point, I've, thought, okay, I can do this. I can talk to my family maybe for, you know, for 20 minutes or, or 30 minutes. Um, at first I, I remember, I distinctly remember the first conversation that I had with my extended family and I was with my mom. I said, okay, this is okay. Cause I'm with my mom. And then 10 minutes into the conversation, my mom said, okay, I've got to go now. <laughs> and I went, please don't leave me. <laughs> but <laughs> but it was fine. It was, and I think that was a that was a real breakthrough for me realizing that I could still maintain the conversation for another 15, 20 minutes before I went, okay, I've I've run out of things I can say now.
1: So when uh when we think about like learning languages with tricky resources, we might imagine, oh, I'll do a quick Google search and if maybe there's uh, a a website, somebody's linked to all the best resources. And, um, you may not have come across something like that. And in fact, you made your own website with resources for people to find Hiligaynon. So that's a very big switch over from a quick Google search. Oh, there's nothing there. I guess it's impossible to learn this language. So how did you find those resources? And for people who are learning languages that are tricky when it comes to resources, what would you recommend they do to potentially have enough resources that maybe they could solve the problem for other people and create their own website linking to it?
2: So the first thing I would say is definitely don't stop at the first page of Google. um, Because I don't know, I I guess that because because they're not so well supported, because there's not so many people looking for resources in these languages, the Google algorithm is not not, not necessarily going to throw up the the best resources right on its first page. So you need to go deep dive into those um, search engine pages. And, you know, I, I think I, I remember going down to like page 20 and still finding some decent resources. So, yeah, I would just say, firstly, just don't stop. And then... Um this is this is really random. I think I spoke about it in my my article that I wrote for you guys. But a strange uh resor- resource for learning lesser known languages is actually the Mormon community. So what the Mormons do is that they send a lot of missionaries out to every corner of the earth. And one thing that they really like to do uh, in order to really get their message across, is that they train their missionaries not in the national language of the country, but actually in the one that's being spoken on the streets. So, actually, in the missionary training center, they have a Hiligaynon school that actually trains their missionaries in Hiligaynon before they send them to, say, Iloilo City or Bacolod, uh, those Hiligaynon speaking places. And then what they do is They'll quite often also make vlogs uh, or YouTube videos in the language. And so for me, I found this, these couple of missionaries who called themselves the Alongo Boys, and they made a lot of content. And that was kind of the first um Hiligaynon content that uh, that I found on YouTube and it was also incredible for me because it was the first time I'd seen someone who wasn't a native actually speaking that language which was really just blew my mind at the time and but even better than that there was a missionary called Paul Soderquist who after coming back he completely fell in love with the language and he made an app for learning Ilongo, learning Hiligainon that was basically a bit like, uh, I guess, a more basic Duolingo for, for learning it. And that was, that was one of the first uh, resources that I used in the Fluent in Three Months challenge. And it was a real game changer for me. So I would say if you're learning some, you know, some other, uh, more obscure language to actually go on. I think I think they have on on the missionary website they have lists of all the people who have gone out and they've actually listed if they've started YouTube channels um, and just yeah just look them up and in Paul Soderquist's case I actually sent him an email and we ended up having a half hour long Skype conversation about learning Ilongo and learning Hiligaynon because he was a really good resource for uh, for grammar which was something I couldn't get my head around at all Um, so yeah there's that and then I think you have to be a bit of a MacGyver when when it comes to engineering your own resources. So one thing that I really miss in Hiligaynon that I had a lot for Spanish was podcasts. I, I love listening to podcasts and it just was not a thing for, for Hiligaynon. And so I kind of made my own. I, I'm a real software nerd, so I, I love using different bits of software to make my life easier and so i use software to strip the audio out of videos and radio shows that i found online and then download them and then You know, for example, a a radio show in Hiligano might be like three hours long. It's completely impractical length to use for listening practice. Um, And I, I know Benny's very vocal about, you know, using the radio for learning languages and not just sticking it on in the background and zoning it out. And I really didn't want to do that. So I would take these radio shows and maybe find a section, particular segment of the show that I was interested in. And it would be maybe... Uh, between five and 20 minutes long I find that's quite a manageable chunk of time for me now and I would use the software to just cut that specific chunk out the radio show and then create a playlist so I've probably got about 50 or 60 audio tracks on my playlist now that I use in in place of podcasts and I'll just uh, I'll just review them as I'm going around the house doing chores and stuff, and it's really ramped up the amount of um, time I can spend listening. Um, and also in that vein, you can you can also use uh, Google Docs to um, to kind of create a, a reader for yourself, um, a bit like link. Uh, so I I, I love I, I love Link. I've never been able to use it before because when I was uh, when I was doing Spanish, I hadn't actually come across it. I didn't know about it, and then I heard about it uh, during my my first challenge. I thought, oh, that sounds that sounds really good, but of course, it doesn't exist for Hiligaynon." And so I I used uh, optical character recognition software OCR software to scan a couple of books that I bought off Amazon. And put them into Google Docs, and then made um, annotations using comment system. So yeah, you can, you know, it's it's not impossible. I would I would advise that um, you do need to have a, a strong personal motivation to learn a language like that. You shouldn't just you shouldn't just take it on because it sounds cool, because it sounds like a cool thing to do, um, because you know you will get frustrated by the lack of resources but if you do have the strong personal motivation strong will to learn it then you'll be you'll be able to you'll be able to engineer your way into having the right resources
0: i love that you used a lot of apps during the challenge as well what you're talking about here for for those of our listeners that aren't aren't sure they've heard of it before habit stacking so you do the laundry while listening to your podcast or you go for a walk while listening to a lesson. Like sometimes I'll record my lessons and listen again. Habit stacking is really important because it's giving you that repetition. I think Johan from Francais Authentique says, listen to something at least 20 times. So it's got to be something you like because if it's just hello, how are you, you know, about some, some guy buying shoes at at the shoe store, you're not going to want to listen to that 20 times. I have a goal of listening to a book 20 times um, again and again and again. And by the 10th time I understand the story and the, the words, it just feels like someone is telling me the story that I've heard many times before. However, you also use apps for, um, achieving goals, for time management. Um, you would send us screenshots of some really pretty. What were those apps? Cause they were so pretty. They had like a, a pie chart. What was that? What was that app that you were using? Um, yeah, that, that would be,
2: um, toggle. Um, which is uh, yeah, I I did actually uh, I've um, I, I feel bad saying this because it has been a, a huge help to me, but I did actually recently stop using it because I did find that actually the um, the becoming obsessed with tracking my progress was getting in the way of the actual progress. So I think that you definitely need to realise at what point something is useful for you and maybe at what point it then ceases to be useful for you. But Toggle certainly, especially during the challenge where you have a specific target number of minutes that you have to reach, say 30 minutes, 45 minutes, Toggle is is brilliant. And it's, it's really good for knowing where you're spending your time as well and making sure that you have a balance and that none of the so-called four pillars, you know, speaking, listening, reading, or writing are getting neglected. And I, I did notice after tracking my time for a while that I was perhaps neglecting certain things. I'm still not as proficient in reading as I am in perhaps the other three. And Toggle definitely helped me to to realize that. And so I'm now dedicating a lot more time to reading in the language.
1: And what, what other apps and resources have you found useful that may not obviously be language-specific, but that have helped your efficiency with language learning?
2: Oh, so many. <laughs> um, so I... Yeah, I mentioned I mentioned a few I think um, one was freemake video downloader so that just helps with um, with taking the audio out so they've got an option to, only to download the audio and then I I can't remember the name of it but there's so many versions of this type of tool uh, that you could find find one for your phone or for Mac Um and it's it's just a software that helps you trim down audio to make a shorter, a shorter file.
1: I tend to use Audacity on my PC. That's that's free software for audio editing.
2: Yeah, I've I've used Audacity, but I I, I don't know. I I just never seem to um, I never I never seem to get on with Audacity. So I, I ended up using something else. But I, I do know a lot of people who 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 really like it. Uh, and then for videos, I use uh, DaVinci, um, DaVinci Resolve, and that's it's completely free software, but it's really professional. And I use that for subtitling my my videos. And I think that uh, it sounds it sounds trivial, but I think having a really nicely edited video on YouTube or being able to produce one actually did motivate me to make more videos rather than just having a really grainy phone video um, i could have one that you know actually looked a little bit more like a, a
0: real youtuber you you did talk about um, using rare language dictionaries so dictionaries for your target language and your your target language is a little tricky because There's, as you were saying in your article, which we will, we will put in the show notes. It's a great article for people that are learning all types of less, less, uh, learned languages. Um, you talked about the fact that the writing system differs in, in different regions. So the spelling might be different. So how did, um, the dictionaries help you? How did they hinder you? And also you have a little family story, which I thought was really sweet about it too.
2: Yes. So the, um, Elongo or uh, Hiligaynon used uh, a different script before, I think it was called Badlit was uh, the name of the script that was used for Hiligaynon before the arrival of the Spanish. And then after the Spanish came, it switched over to the Latin script. But there was never a, the spelling for many words was never really made official. And so it's still very inconsistent even today and so for example the the u and the o in hilokain are kind of interchangeable so it's the the sound of it is kind of like an o so it's it's sort of it's actually between the two sounds so you can't really just by hearing it actually know whether it is a u or an O. and so a lot of people might write the same words using either letter and that can make it very difficult to to look up in the dictionary but i th- i think it's it's something that you do get used to, and I think if you're learning a, a rare or an, obs- or an obscure language, it's it's just a case of memorising which quirks you'll come across um, in in your own target language, and then and then it becomes quite an easy workaround. Um, but yeah, the the dictionary story that you were referring to was uh, that back in 2006, my cousin Nonoy gave me and my sister. Uh, uh, an Elongo to English dictionary. And he wrote in, in Hilgainon inside the front cover, he said, hopefully by the time you come back next time, you'll be able to speak Elongo. And it was only last year that I was actually able to read that dedication. So it took, it took quite a few years, but, uh, we, yeah, I made it eventually. I'm finally able to read that. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. And it's great this connection It's been able to help you have uh, with your your family. and i I like what you said earlier that um and I've said this myself many times that if you have family, it is a little bit more efficient if you use a resource like ITalki to find a, a tutor who you're paying because that that kind of takes the pressure off. But having said that, you have done a lot of practice and you've uploaded videos with your mother. And I know that can be a very intimidating transition that you're used to speaking English with her for most of your life. And like, how did you manage that? How were you able to begin to use the language without feeling too intimidated?
2: Well, I think uh, as I as I mentioned before, I think bridging that gap with some iTalki teachers did really help, so that she didn't have to bear witness to too much of the stuttering, awkward early stages. Um, but uh, she was—I I have been very lucky. She she was really understanding, and I think. Adding a little bit of ritual to it as well helped. I mean, you know, talk about habit stacking. We have this uh, thing that we call uh, our Elongo walks. It kind of started in in lockdown, and because we were going a bit crazy with uh, with being at home all the time, we would go for a walk for about ninety minutes, just around our local area. And it's just become automatic now. But the second we step out of the door, we don't speak English anymore. And it's funny. It's like it—it it almost feels more natural now to speak in Hiligaynon than in English when we're out on our walk because it's just become this association in in our brains. And she ne- she needed that a little bit as well because she had forgotten a little bit of the language after you know over thirty years of, of living in the UK.
0: Yeah, Benny. Didn't you have a room dedicated, like, or a section of your room dedicated to your target language? During some of your missions, I I think there is something neurologically sound in this idea that when I do this activity, I'm going to use this language.
1: Yeah, that that association just makes a world of difference because it it's just, I don't know how it works with your brain's wiring, but it just makes it a lot easier. And if I'm at my work desk and I'm used to speaking English at this work desk, it just it feels like an uphill battle that, okay, now I'm suddenly going to speak in Spanish or something. Whereas if I have a dedicated space and especially if I have a dedicated person, and this is another reason I like the likes of hiring tutors is if I'm making a transition with a friend from one language to another, there's, there is an uphill battle there because I have momentum of months or years of speaking to this person in English or in, in another language, which is less ideal. And uh, if I start a new relationship, through an italki teacher and I have only ever with this person spoken that language. It just makes that association so much easier in my brain that I don't, I'm not likely to fall back to English because I can get lazy like anyone else and I could fall back to English. So if I start from the very beginning that this space in my house or this person or this uh, activity that I'm doing is only going to be in that language, then it's a lot easier to keep that momentum up for sure.
0: We had another challenger. His wife was Portuguese. We actually, it's Bryce's um, article, sorry, episode in the podcast. And him and his wife would just make breakfast. They would always speak the target language at breakfast. And then the rest of the day, they could float in and out. But they had this dedicated time when they sat down at the breakfast table, they would be speaking. Here's a question that um, I just thought of. So you haven't been prepped on this question. But is your relationship different or your communication Uh, different with your mom when you're speaking the target language as when you're speaking your native language
2: yes yeah and um yeah thanks for bringing that up because that was something i I really wanted to touch on is that i feel like even though me and my mom have always had a really close relationship throughout the you know 30-ish years that we spoke only english to one another it has completely changed our relationship uh it's, it's Deepened it, and I feel like I know a side of her that I never would have understood had I never learned this language. And I think for for both of us, actually, we have a slightly different aspect of of our personalities comes out when we're speaking Hiligaynon. And by nature, like I think many languages, it is a bit more blunt. So we tend not to hold back so much when we're speaking in in Hiligaynon. We'll will be far more brash, far more blunt, um, which is about as far from British English, in particular, as you can get. Which is, uh, you know, British English is full of qualifiers. You you take about you you take a very scenic route on your way to saying something. Whereas, you know, Hiligaynon is just you say three words. It's very blunt. <laughs> you just get. You get straight to the point because there's no other way of saying it, um, but yeah, you know it is just um, yeah. I, I feel as if I understand her better, and I I think that I I would say that you you don't truly you will never truly understand another person if you don't learn their native language. Uh, I think if if I were you know if if I were ever to be in a relationship or, or to marry someone from, from another country, I think that it would be, it wouldn't be imperative for me to, to learn the language because otherwise I think that I would just never fully understand who they are.
1: Absolutely. So one thing uh, we of course always ask people who come on the podcast is uh, since it's the language hacking podcast, what is your definition of language hacking?
2: Okay. So (laughs) I think that my, my definition of language hacking is not to treat, uh, language learning as a purely intellectual exercise. So I think a lot of people will just kind of hide behind, hide behind books and, you know, just not, I don't know, just not get out into the world with their language. Um, and, it doesn't. It doesn't even need to be necessarily speaking to someone, although that that is a big part of it. But I think even I I have quite a strong belief, and it's possibly because I've actually been forced into it by the nature of what I'm learning. But I think that you you should get into native material as early as possible. I realize that's not very practical when you're really right at the beginning of speaking a language. But I think a lot of people are quite. You know, they have this idea around, you know, native material or native speakers, native speech that it's, oh, it's a bit fast and scary and unpredictable. And they like to they like to stay in in the safety of their their textbooks and their podcasts and things that have been prepared with with the aim of teaching. And so I think language hacking for me is just diving straight into the native material as quickly as possible and yeah, you know it may sting a bit to start with, but uh, you know once once you're there, once you're once you're swimming, once you're comfortable, then it's it's a great place to be, and I think that you'll advance much much faster for it.
1: Yeah, that was great. So if um, anyone is uh, curious, we'll definitely make sure they can find in the show notes multiple things that uh, you've uh, um, like your article that you've written for us and your website and all the resources that we've been mentioning today. But um, as a final thing, I'm curious what your what your plans are. So where do you plan to go with your Heligainon and with your language learning in general?
2: So I think that has been one of the most painful aspects of the pandemic for me personally, is just not being able to go back to the Philippines, so I think it's now been it's now been almost three years since since I was back there. I was planning to go last year, um, but I think pretty much as soon as the borders reopen, I'm going to be on the first plane out there because uh, I really, you know, I, I haven't been there since I started my language learning journey properly with the Fluent in Three Months challenge. So I I really can't wait to see how many more doors this is going to open for me and how much closer it's going to bring me to my family.
1: It's going to be a very, very different experience for sure when you get to go there next time. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. This is very interesting. And uh, like I said, everything will be in the uh, links in the show notes. And until next time, I wish everybody listening a very happy language learning.
0: Happy language learning.
1: So that was a great chat we had with uh, Sarah today. And as always, at the end of these episodes, uh, I like to share the takeaways that the hosts have uh, gotten from the conversation. So, um, Elizabeth, what takeaways did you have from this today?
0: I think my biggest takeaway was a reminder of that deep connection you get when you are speaking someone's native language and that you can take a a family member that you've known for your entire life and understand a different aspect of that person, connect more profoundly. That inspires me to continue learning different languages. One of my heritage languages is Russian. It would be great to speak to my mom and my aunts in that language. So I hope that listeners are inspired too to try just to take a few lessons and see what they can, what they can discover about their family.
1: And I really, really liked what she was talking about, about taking initiative with the tools and resources. Because even though Hiligaynon has a lot of speakers, it is like I, I had a project where I learned Tagalog and that's one of the more official languages with resources. And even that had very limited resources for me to learn the language. So a language like Hiligaynon is a huge challenge. But I like what she was saying that she really uh, had a breadth of of different resources. She took Toggle, which is actually used for work productivity and uh, for like tracking people's hours as they work, and she made uh, made that into a version of tracking how many uh, hours she was putting into different aspects of the language. And uh, she couldn't use link and in the language. So she did something that replicates what Link does, and for people who know the Link res- the uh, Link uh, resource, they know that it highlights the words that you want to come back to later. And she very simply highlighted them in Google Docs. I, I never thought of doing that myself. It's such a straightforward, simple way to uh, to ha- to keep track of the words you want to come back to in a document. Um, if you either are not signed up to link, or if you have a language that isn't covered by it, then you can replicate it uh, that way. And then what she mentioned about just pulling the audio from video clips and audio clips to turn into her own personal podcast. Cause like she said, I think three hour long footage, that's not good for for as a learning resource, but for quick clips to talk about something interesting, if you can listen to that and repeat it and play it slowly, that can give you a a whole lot. And she's really shown that even when resources are limited, you can be imaginative and you can take the initiative to create your own resources. So the sky is the limit. And I think that's a good reminder for all of us. So with that in mind, we'll wrap up the episode. And as always, if you guys enjoy this, make sure to go to languagehacking.com slash review and uh, share your thoughts with us. We love to read them. And otherwise, we will see you in the next one. And again, happy language learning.
0: Happy language learning, friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel. With special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.